and the impact on global women-owned businesses. Women-owned businesses are one of the most significant drivers of innovation and job growth in both developed and emerging markets. We Connect International strongly believes that this is the time to rebuild global business for the good by ensuring everyone has an equal opportunity to contribute to and benefit from the recovery. We know that companies and governments who proactively invest in supplier diversity and inclusion will reap major dividends as we seek to recover from the global pandemic and systemic inequality. The reality is, today women only account for about 1% of the global spend on products and services by both corporations and governments. In addition, women-owned small and medium enterprises, or SMEs, in emerging markets still face a $1.5 trillion or trillion euro annual credit gap that needs to be closed. However, they are often untapped resources for inclusive growth, which is particularly true for women of color. WeConnect International recognizes that engaging women as business owners from the beginning of the global value chain is critical now more than ever. And the payback is worth trillions and trillions of dollars poured into our communities. As businesses work to recover from the COVID-19 crises and learn from the mass protests for justice and equality, know that WeConnect International will continue to help lead the effort to rebuild the global economy for the good. When women gain access to finance and their sales increase, they invest in the health and welfare and education, not only of their households, but also their communities, yielding measurable prosperity for all. This is not only the right thing to do morally, but good for corporate bottom lines and government policy. If all entrepreneurs had equal opportunities, including access to markets, global GDP could rise by as much as 6%, boosting the global economy by $5 trillion. Welcome to the Diversity Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Audra Jenkins, joined by members of my Ron Side Equality, Diversity and Inclusion, or Ready Crew, Floss Agri, and Norma Marquez. Today, we're speaking with Elizabeth Vasquez, President and CEO and co-founder of We Connect International. She is a world leader in women's economic empowerment and a global supplier of diversity and inclusion. She's also the co-author of the book, Buying for Impact, How to Buy from Women and Change Our World. And also joined by Elizabeth is Maggie Berry, the Executive Director for We Connect International in Europe. She joined the team in December 2012 and has led the responsibility for the management, leadership, and development of We Connect International throughout Europe. Welcome, Elizabeth and Maggie. Thank you for having us. This is exciting. Yep. Thank you, Audra. Great to be participating today. Excellent. So let's jump jump right in. We're so excited to speak to both of you. I mean, you guys are definitely powerhouses in your own right, but what you're doing for women and women-owned businesses is just amazing, and I'm so excited. So Elizabeth, We Connect International E-Network supports and promotes women-owned businesses based in over 100 countries, including local support and certification in 45 countries, including the Americas, Asia, Europe, Middle East, and Africa. You being one of the co-founders of the organization, tell us why you're so passionate about helping women and who are the mentors that have helped you support your vision for this organization? So that is a, a really great question. I personally want to get as much money into the hands of women as fast as possible. And so We Connect is an amazing way to ensure that both men and women business owners have an equal opportunity to compete for contract opportunities. As you noted, we have not enough women-owned businesses winning contracts in these global value chains, and we really need 
many more of them because of the way they support their businesses, their employees, their families, and their communities in how they spend their money and how they lead with their business models. This was not something I did on my own. There was a lot of help. We certainly had people like Michael Robinson of IBM, Joan Kerr with PG&E. When she was originally with AT&T, we do also work with Procter & Gamble, but we also work with Walmart, ExxonMobil, EY, Accenture, Pfizer, Cisco, Intel, many, many corporations that have a deep commitment to inclusive sourcing or what we call supplier diversity and inclusion, which just ensures that an organization includes businesses of all backgrounds to add value to the products and services that they offer to their customers. Wow, that's amazing, Elizabeth. Thank you for that. And, you know, I think about all the customers you listed, many of them are Ronstadt customers as well. So kudos to them for supporting this initiative. And we look forward to helping to drive that, amplify that message of supplier diversity and how critical it is. So switching gears, let's switch over to Maggie. So Maggie, back in February of this year, you were awarded the OBE and the Queen's Birthday Honors List for services to women in, in business and technology. We know you're passionate working with that, with your women-owned businesses and corporate members. Tell us why you're so passionate about gender-inclusive sourcing in Europe and what keeps you motivated for this work you're doing every day on behalf of women-owned businesses. Thanks, Audra. The OBE was a, an amazing honor that was awarded and it stands for the Order of the British Empire. And yeah, I feel so privileged to be able to have accepted that award on behalf of all of the, the women-owned businesses and the women in tech that I've worked with over, over the last 15 years or so. And the driver for me about why I want to push this agenda forward, even if I just look at the stats in the UK, women are 50% of the working population, but we own less than 20% of businesses. And it means that we're not creating and generating our own economic wealth. And that's one of the things that I want to see changed. And we work with so many amazing business owners owners. Many of them are very understated and they don't necessarily want to kind of blow their own trumpets or shout about the amazing businesses that they're running. But I really want to bust some myths about the reality of female business ownership and what that means and what that contributes to the European and the global economies. And I am inspired every day by these business owners. And inclusive sourcing in Europe and and really maybe outside of the US, it's still a relatively new part of the diversity landscape. I joined the organization because I felt it was a really practical step in this whole entrepreneurial ecosystem about connecting buyers to relevant women-owned businesses. And I wanted to be part of that and I still want to be part of that. And there's still so much more that we want to achieve together. And it's It is not easy. And our corporate members, all those different firms that Elizabeth referenced and firms like Randstad as well, you're really at the forefront of this agenda. And I feel incredibly privileged to be able to do this job and to support this initiative here in Europe. And you're doing such a phenomenal job, Maggie. I have to say, thank you for that. I mean, I think that when you think about getting large corporations to have a lens for supplier diversity in general, you're right. It's very, still very new. Maggie, you and I spoke in 2015 in Paris at an initiative at Société Générale, and it was still, they didn't think this was a true thing. Is this really a thing happening with the supplier diversity? And I get it's an uphill battle, and I'm so proud that you are such the right person for the role, and you know, you're definitely out there amplifying that, representing women well. So thank you for that. Thank you. So Elizabeth, switching back to you, COVID-19 continues to reshape the way We do business for many industries. We've had to adjust to remote work environments. 
in which case many women are wearing multiple hats, including caregiver, school teacher, provider, not only for children, but also for maybe some elderly relatives. They're conducting business in a remote setting and they're finding tools to kind of help them survive in a digital world. What are some of the key challenges you've seen facing women in business? And how do you think this current crisis, this public health crisis, and even a social crisis are impacting these challenges in a positive and negative way? Sure. And I mean, we're fortunate to have Maggie leading us in Europe and we have other leaders in in each of the different regions reaching out to the women business owners and truly listening to understand what is it they need? What is it they're telling us they need to be successful? Because unfortunately, 90% of the women business owners in our network, based on a recent COVID-19 survey, 90% of these women-owned businesses have seen a significant decrease in their sales or their revenue between January and March. And what they're telling us they need is one, adjusting products or services to remain relevant in response to the economic changes, but two, securing immediate funding to remain operational. And I think a lot of us think of that as needing loans, and that's true. But fundamentally, what they need is money they don't have to repay or equity that they lose. They need sales. They need their customers to buy their products and services. And on the bright side, women are in fact adapting to optimize or refocus their businesses. So in the survey we did across 120 countries, 54% of them reported identifying and cutting unnecessary expenses. So they're becoming more efficient. And 42% of them said they have shifted to a digital business model. So they are picking up the tools that allow them to anticipate and meet their customer demand without the physical interaction that all of us are accustomed to. My hope in looking at the data is that they are quickly doing adapting as as women always do, multitasking on several fronts to find ways to survive and thrive in a very new environment. Wow, Elizabeth, that is absolutely phenomenal. I love the way that these women have pivoted as many of our business models have pivoted. Even the large corporates had to pivot to kind of shelter through this time. One of the things you just said was so startling is that you're right. They're not looking for loans. They're looking for a way to keep their doors open and keep their business going forward. And it's not so much a handout, but more so utilization of their services, you know, in a meaningful way. So that's a very powerful statement. Thank you for that. So now I'm going to transition this over to Floss, who's going to ask a few questions as well. Thank you, Audra. I appreciate that. Hi, Maggie. My question is for you, and it really aligns with Elizabeth's response. So Elizabeth mentioned just the changes that women business owners have had to make and the shift in adapting to new things and the digital business model that's been put in place. But from your perspective, what else can you tell us that women-owned businesses have done to access initiatives like these from a WeConnect International perspective? We've seen, I think, across the globe with We Connect International, I mean, I can certainly comment on Europe, we've seen some great examples of how the women-owned businesses are pivoting and really relatively quickly. These are really agile SME, small, medium-sized enterprises who are really, have been well-placed to react rapidly in this crisis scenario. And I'm so proud of the way that we've seen the women-owned businesses reacting. And what me and my team in Europe have been trying to do, and this has been replicated around the world with We Connect International, is really providing the resources that they need I mean, even just simple things, we've been collating a weekly resource email, simply sending out 
all of this different stuff that they can access for their business. So some stuff from, say, from We Connect International, from We Connect International members, from other sources that will support them. I mean, there's been a vast increase in available training and webinars online, which has just been amazing. One of the things that I've really enjoyed and has given us, I think a lot of people in our group, a, a positive boost is we've implemented what we call Weeby to Weeby Huddles. So for our certified women's business enterprises, we've done twice monthly sessions where they can simply come together, share advice, share worries, talk about what they've done, how they've approached things. For example, staff in the UK, I put them on furlough and all the, you know, the legal and HR aspects of all of this and our WBEs that focus in that area have been sharing their advice. And then our digital marketing agencies have been talking about going online and all these different things. It's just been really amazing to see. And I think the survey that we conducted earlier in the year backs that all up. And I really hope that as we now move into the next phase and as markets start to reopen and as you know schools start to open and the shops and, and business goes into whatever this next phase is going to look like, I'm really sure that our women-owned businesses will be there thriving and supporting our members and they're still going to remain as those really credible suppliers who can support through the coming months. And I'm here to support that. And I know my colleagues around the world will be doing the same things in their regions as well. That's fantastic. Excited to hear about all of the things you all have going on and that you're doing relative to providing these sources and having these updates twice monthly. I really believe that it's important and I know it's going to make a difference. I also want to pivot a little bit and go back to Elizabeth. I have a question for you and it's, it sort of aligns with what Maggie's response was sort of to elaborate on that. Earlier this year, there was a survey that cited that 90% of women businesses that responded a huge decrease in sales or revenue. And in turn, there was another 56% out of that indicated the need of support when it comes to employee wages. Now, of course, we know that We Connect International, that, you know, they're helping in terms of expanding the capacity or helping large buyers expand their capacity rather to source additional products and services from WBEs for support. But based on all the support that you're seeing, which is fantastic, by the way, are you able to talk to us a little bit about any industries that may stand out when it comes to best practices in terms of supporting and helping drive the growth of women-owned businesses? I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who would love to hear that. Sure. And it's actually interesting because there are several sectors that are really stepping up. Certainly in the technology sector, we have a lot of members that are needing a lot of help from innovative suppliers. In the healthcare sector, we have a lot of our member buyers needing support with innovative solutions on the product and service side. A number of manufacturers are needing help with everything from logistics to packaging to pivoting on their offering. And so this really has a massive impact. We found that of the businesses that participated in the survey, 37% are growing an area of business they didn't have before in response to local or global needs. Some of them are COVID-specific products and services, and that's because they need to get their employees excited about the growth potential and the flexibility that these smaller, medium enterprises offer, because unfortunately, 46% of these businesses have seen a decrease in employee morale. 22% of the respondents indicate their employees aren't able to work remotely due to the lack of technology 
technology or internet access. And so it's really important that we have public-private partnerships between the private sector and governments to ensure that regardless of what happens with COVID, there will be other situations in the future. And people are demanding, not just women, but men and women are wanting more flexibility in how they work. And we've done this global experiment to see if people are, in fact, able to work remotely. Do we have the infrastructure, policies, procedures? And I think in many instances, it has been a failure. But in many more instances, we've learned that this can be done. We can all do a better job of leveraging technology to make the work environment more flexible for everyone. And I think that is particularly important for women who have a multitude of responsibilities beyond just work or just family. And it's not that men don't. I think men also want this kind of flexibility to spend more time with their families and help with the care responsibilities. But certainly when it comes to income, which is critical for everyone, I think having these new tools available and more common based on a conversation I just had with a lot of the women business owners we work with in India, they said that, you know, having a conference call all together and have it be dynamic and feel so personal because we can see each other made a business conversation that might've taken a lot of expensive flights and hotels and time very efficient and very effective. And so I think this is a, an opportunity as well as a, a way to do business better going forward for everyone. I see it the same way. I think for a lot of people, it's, it's sort of a double-edged sword there. You have the opportunity, but then there are also gaps that you're working to address. Totally agree. In that same vein, and thank you for that response. So Maggie, what are some of the external challenges that you would consider that are different for women than men in this climate relative to the same degree? As I look at our women-owned businesses, the key definition is they're, they're really brilliant SME suppliers here in Europe. I mean, SMEs are the backbone of the European economy. But I think one of the key challenges that women-owned businesses face, which is different, I would say, to male-owned and male-led businesses, is access to finance. And we know that women earn less than men. They receive less funding. I think 2018, the women got over just over 2% of venture capital funding. So, I mean, there's a massive disparity there. And WeConnect International has just published a new report, How to Rebuild Global Business for Good, which has a core focus on why connecting access to markets, which is the work that WeConnect's focused on, with access to capital for women-owned businesses is absolutely critical for inclusive and sustainable global growth. And women-owned businesses, they're great problem solvers, they're great employers, community leaders. We really need, the ecosystem really needs to do a better job of enabling more job creation and more prosperity through women-owned businesses. And I really believe that this increasing women-owned business access to finance will support that. And nationally and internationally, they're engines of innovation and growth, and we want to see more of that happening. And I think this moment of pause for the world is allowing a chance for a lot of reflection around this and how we build on this last few months and take it forward. So check out that report around rebuilding global business for good. It includes calls to action for corporations at the end. Um, It's well worth a read. Thank you. Thank you. And that is timely. I'm going to pass it over to Norma, who's also going to ask your question to elaborate on that a little bit more. Thanks, Norma. Thank you, Klaus. And thank you, Elizabeth and Maggie. So, Elizabeth, I have a question for you. And following up in, in some of the key areas in which 
women's business enterprises still need to thrive in the economy. And not just in certain regions, but also globally. We know that Connect International just released a study where only about 1% of the global corporate spend goes to women-owned businesses, right? That's a very small percentage. And can you tell us what that percentage equates to and how can we, corporate America or corporate leaders, help you increase that by another 1%? And what would that mean for the WBEs across the globe? And that's a really great question. So if you look at just the 100 corporate members and other multilaterals, because we also work with the UN and the World Bank, and increasingly uh, governments are interested in this. But right now, the buyers we work with represent over a trillion US dollars in annual purchasing power. So if we were able to get just that small group of buyers to move from 1% of global spend per year on average to 2%, that would mean we would move from $10 billion of spend with women-owned businesses to $20 billion of spend with women-owned businesses. So it sounds small, right? To move from 1% to ooh, doubling it to 2%. But in reality, we're talking about an additional $10 billion into the hands of women each year and the knowledge of how to get from 1% to 2% so that we can get from 2% to 3% to 4 to 5 and much, much higher very quickly because we've changed hearts and minds, we've changed policies and procedures, and we've changed tracking systems, entire business systems. So it's not rocket science, but it does take a village. It does take an entire ecosystem to find these women-owned businesses and develop their capacity to be even more competitive for what the world buys and the large buyers to be more inclusive in how they source their products and services to ensure that everyone truly has an equal opportunity to compete. It's an exciting time. And I think if we all work together, we can absolutely move billions of dollars more into the hands of women very, very quickly because they will have learned to earn that money. Thank you, Elizabeth. I know that working with your team has been an amazing reward for us, especially when you guys help us source some of those women business enterprises right, that we need in our supply chain. So thank you for that. So Maggie, I have a question for you. With all that is going on right now around the globe, and we around that, sustainability is at the heart of our strategy, and we therefore commit ourselves to the UN's Sustainability Development Goals, SDG, in particular with regard to promoting sustainable economic growth, decent work for all, and reducing inequalities. The last goal being one that we connect international is currently also focusing in. Would you please share with us what are some of the things that you are doing internally to increase an equality within your team? And then what has that been the impact that has come out for WBEs and also corporate members? We're focused on equality every day. Everything we're doing is driving our mission to help women-owned businesses to succeed in global value chains. And, and we want to create a world in which women have the same opportunity as their male counterparts to design and implement business solutions that create wealth and ensure the sustainable prosperity of communities. So we spend a lot of time as a team creating those connections and enabling our corporate members to build and grow relationships with women-owned businesses who could be potential future suppliers. And I think one of the key actions that we 
say globally, but I mean, you know, when Europe is around helping our corporate members when they have RFPs or tenders to really help them understand where there are women-owned businesses that they could consider. And it's a real practical step. And that is a big part of what drives me and the team on hearing those success stories. And indeed, you can go onto the WeConnect International website and look at the success stories page and you can read about all the different ways that we've been able to support women-owned businesses around the world. Um, So there's loads of examples there. And I think for both groups, for the women-owned businesses and for the corporations around events and training and networking, even opportunities around mentoring. Um, I know people often feel that mentoring can be a bit of a one-way relationship, but it's not true. I know that our corporations can learn a lot from the business owners as well. And I'd say this is just, it's part and parcel of what we're doing day in, day out, week in, week out, which is brilliant to see. Well, fantastic. And thank you so much. And we've seen you, Elizabeth and Maggie, in action in providing those opportunities to build a relationship and to really work together. So we really, truly appreciate the partnership that we have here. And so I'm going to turn it over to Audra for additional questions. So thank you. Thanks, Norma. So Elizabeth, question for you. Why do you think diversity inclusion is critical to organizations during COVID-19 crises and afterwards? I think it's definitely top of mind now. Yeah, I think it's becoming obvious to everyone that organizations in the past thought they were managing risk by having one prime supplier of a product or a service in one country and be like a global distributor. And they're realizing that that is not a good way to manage risk. You need to diversify your options and your suppliers of products and services so that if one supplier is unable to provide you with what you're expecting, that you have some options with other vendors. And I think that's what supplier diversity helps to do. Not only does it give you more choice and more options, but it also helps to ensure that you have access to all the world's best suppliers, the best innovation, the way to anticipate the needs of all your customers. So if you have, for example, all women suppliers, it may not be so easy to sell to men because you probably haven't anticipated all of the needs that men have. And so we want to make sure that both men and women are involved in developing the solutions to all of our problems, the big ones and the small ones. And so it has to be an inclusive strategy and it has to move beyond HR. It is not sufficient to have just the hiring of diverse opinions and experiences, which is absolutely critical. In addition to that, we have to think about how we spend our money. And if any of that money is being spent on the women of the world or other underutilized communities that might be LGBT, people with disabilities, ethnic minorities, or Aboriginal people, there are lots of ways to look at diversity and inclusion, but it behooves all of us to be more inclusive in how we spend our money so that everyone benefits, everyone contributes, and we all have the best of what we have to offer collectively. That's phenomenal advice. Thank you for that, Elizabeth. Absolutely. I certainly agree with that. And I think also the other caveat of it, I've seen just with us, we made a commitment in my own department that when we host anything, we will only leverage diverse suppliers for those services from the banners to the print work to the catering. Wherever we can, we try to find opportunities. It doesn't have to be a product that you're trying to add it to the supply chain. It could also be your services. I think people think of it as it's only 
tangible products, but it could also be things that we do every day. I know we're not doing in-person large gatherings anymore, but when we are able to gather again, are we looking at those things? Are we engaging those diverse and small businesses every opportunity that we can? And oftentimes I've found dealing with these small diverse organizations is they've been unbelievably receptive to flexibility, you know, in terms adding extra services on just to keep the repeat business coming. And they've just been phenomenal to work with. And I'm really proud to support that. So thank you for that. That's fantastic. Thank you for what you're doing. So Elizabeth and Maggie, both. I got one last question. We'll start with Elizabeth, the same exact same question for both of you. But I know that family is so important. I think we're reminded of that every day, especially with this whole global pandemic. And we just know how fragile life is now. What legacy do you want to believe for your family to remember you by and the work that you're doing? I think for me, because I was always on an airplane, this was a moment of reflection where we spent quality, we have been spending and we still are a lot of quality time physically together. And that it forces everyone to rethink about our priorities. What do we care about? For what reason are we doing all this work? Why are we trying to earn money? Well, at the end of the day, it's because we want to be happy. We want our families and communities to be happy. We want everyone to be healthy and we need resources to do that. But I think we've found that there are ways to make money while also enjoying the time that we have together with the people we care about the most. So that's what I want my family, my daughter to remember about this was the quality time that we've spent together and the emphasis on how easy it is to make the time to be together and that it is something that brings joy to everyone. Recognizing that we all still have to have an income and that is important and it's not easy for everyone to work from home. So we have to find ways for everyone to be successful in environments like this in the future. Well said, Elizabeth. How about you, Maggie? I don't have children myself, but I have four amazing nieces. They live up in Scotland. And I think for me, I want them to know that they can be anyone they want to be or do anything that they want to do. And I hope that they can see the work and the activities and the events and all the different things that I'm telling them about. And then they can see that they're doing that, that that inspires them. But I want that for everybody, not just my immediate family or my prime focus is women. And I want any women I meet to take that next step, to apply for a new job, to set up a business, just to have that confidence to do the next thing that they want to do. And often it is just simply somebody saying, you can do this, go for it. And I've had over the years, countless conversations like that. And sometimes they come back around again and people tell me years later, oh, you said this at an event and I went and I've gone on it. It just puts a big smile on my face. And I think the importance of role models is just so important. That's one of the things that we're constantly trying to do is to shine a light on all these amazing female business owners and the types of businesses they're running and, and how they run their business and their culture. And that for me is an incredibly important part of all. But these are not overnight success stories. And I sometimes worry that figureheads appear and it's just as if they've just they've magic their success from nowhere. But it's not true. When you often hear their stories, they live a long time putting all the building blocks in place and and then on the other side, you know, all of the corporate contacts that we work with, like you guys and the, the team in Randstad, but with all these other corporates, it's a whole ecosystem and it needs everybody to be committed. And if I, in some small way, can contribute to this through my role at WeConnect and through my day-to-day life as well, then that is a good thing. And I'm 
as I said, it puts a smile on my face at the end of the day that we're supporting this and supporting women and women business owners to succeed and grow all around the world. So well said, Maggie. Kudos for that. I agree with that. One of the things that really, from both of your feedback, is things that I really, my epiphany became when the things I thought were so important, they're not as important anymore. The things I worried about, if I don't get my hair colored, I've got this gray hair showing. Life goes on. I mean, at least I just feel like there's so many things that we could be focusing on that's more positive and impactful and long lasting. And then the things we were so worried about pre-COVID-19, they seem insignificant now. And I think that the work that you're doing, the great work of lifting up women and all small business owners around the world is just an amazing legacy. And your families and your extended families, as well as the corporate partners and colleagues you engage with on a regular basis, will always remember both of you for the great dedication and work that you're doing. This work is not easy. And I just want to applaud you both. And thank you so much for spending time with us today. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. It's been great to connect with you. Yeah, we've enjoyed it. You're doing great work. Love the partnership. And also, I want to say thank you so much to Floss and Norma from our Ready Crew for another phenomenal conversation. And I want to give a big thank you to our listeners globally. We so appreciate your support. Remember that when we celebrate diversity and inclusion, supplier diversity, we celebrate humanity. Be sure to spread the word by using hashtag CelebrateHumanity and tag our hashtag DiversityDeepDive podcast. Real diversity happens when everyone is actively engaged and working together for a positive change. Let's keep the conversation going. Please download more episodes of the Diversity Deep Dive podcast. Until next time, seek out ways to make a positive difference in your organization or community.